Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. My name is Roger Hudson. Hi everyone, my name is Vicki Telios. And today we have a very special episode of GradCast. Today we're joined by two uh, very special guests, the first being Dr. Douglas Bocking, former Dean of Medicine here at Western University, uh, former Vice President of the Health Sciences Department, and a member of the Order of Canada. And we're also joined by Matthew Lund, the president of the Osler Society here uh, uh, for the medical students here at Western University. Dr. Bocking, I guess we'll get started with you. You had a you can probably uh, host a whole series of podcasts just based on your experience in medicine alone. Well, thank you for including me in this uh, broadcast. I've been a, a long-time member of, uh, at Western. I started medical school in 1938 and uh, have uh, seen a lot of changes since that time. At Western in 1938, there were just... Uh, three buildings on the campus, the uh, part of the pre- present university college, the physics building, and the, the li- library, which is now a part of a Somerville House. The medical school itself at that time was down at the corner of Waterloo and South Street, uh, across from the old Victoria Hospital. Student enrollment at Western was about uh, 2,000 s- students, and the uh, enrollment uh, in the medical school the, the, uh, began with uh, the pre-medical course, which uh, uh, admitted 90 students. Uh, uh, all our courses were on the campus. Uh, we had uh, uh, chemis- uh, inorganic chemistry, physics, biology, and in the afternoon we'd have uh, you could take either French or German or and, and library science and, and English. And then uh, at the end of the uh, first year, the uh, class was reduced from 90 students to, uh, to uh, 30. I should mention that it was easy to get into medical school at that time. <laughs> you just had to have uh, respectable grades in uh, grade 13 and be able to afford the uh, tuition fee of $125 a year. Wow. <laughs> of course, that went up to 225 in second year for the rest of the program. Yeah. The, t- the teaching hospitals, they're really just the two teaching hospitals and Victoria Hospital and, uh, to a lesser extent, St. Joseph's Hospital. Uh, university didn't come on stream till. 1972, but uh, it was interesting that uh, the Board of Governors of the University and the Board of of Victoria Hospital came to an agreement. They had about 400 patients at that time at Victoria, and it was agreed that uh, approximately 200 were so-called public patients. They weren't uh, private patients, and so the teaching was allowed uh, on the 200 uh, public patients so and this is before the advent of the uh, free health care that we know of in Ontario today so there right. was a mixture yeah. between the private and the public patients in that that's sense. right yeah they had uh, public outpatient clinics for those that couldn't uh, afford to you know, go to a private doctor 
so that that was your time throughout the pre-medical portion of the degree and then how how long was the uh, pre-med portion of the degree versus the actual medical school portion of well, the degree? The, the pre-med and medicine uh, program was six years but the, really the first year and a half was uh, primarily uh, uh, on campus and then in the second year we uh, and we spent the mornings at the medical school down Waterloo Street, and classes went uh, six days a week. Every we had classes on Saturday, nothing Saturday afternoon. But uh, in the morning, morning we had gross anatomy, and that involved uh, being assigned uh, usually a four students at uh, uh, a table, and we dissected a, 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 a cadaver from uh, that was uh, preserved in formaldehyde. So by the time uh, the sessions were through, you pretty well reeked of uh, formaldehyde. <laughs> <laughs> and but we uh, so that took place every morning, six days a week, uh, for all of second year. One of the four of us would be reading from Gray's Anatomy, and the one would be doing some dissection. and <laughs> So we ended up with uh, not too much left of the uh, cadaver at the, mm -hmm. at the end of the year. <laughs> but, and then in the afternoon, the second year, we went back up to the campus and had uh, more chemistry, uh, inorganic chemistry and uh, physics and uh, more English and uh, and in third year, it was primarily uh, physiology and biochemistry, lectures and labs, uh, and uh, really didn't get much in the way of uh, what we thought was uh, clinical medicine until fourth year there was a course in physical diagnosis, and then uh, lectures in medicine and surgery, and uh, that went on too. And, uh, the f f fourth and fourth year, we had more uh, medical and surgical lectures and uh, some uh, some clinics on the wards. Bacteriology uh, took part of uh, every afternoon in that year. We also had pharmacology part of that year. Fifth year, we uh, had more uh, uh, medicine lectures and. Uh, surgery and uh, so that there wasn't any really much direct uh, contact with with the uh, with the patients that uh, was mostly uh, didactic and uh, and uh, and clinics uh, at the bedside in the last year the sixth year it was there were three terms and uh, that was when we had uh, clinical clerkships either at Victoria or St. Joe's uh, rotating in through the different specialties and we had uh, courses in OB and uh, pediatrics, psychiatry and a little bit of public health uh, one or two courses on medical ethics and uh, another on medical jurisprudence so that was pretty well the extent of the, uh, the uh, six year program 
And, and so it was then during the sixth year that you really got to start really interacting with patients. Yes, uh, that's right. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting. Compared with now, I guess it's uh, in your third year and you have your clinical clerkship and... Uh, yeah, that's right. And the lectos in fourth year. Yeah. And Matthew, I guess just based off what Dr. Bocking has told us, how do you feel like the current medical school curriculum compares or differs based on yeah. that? Well, a lot of that sounded very familiar to me, uh, particularly <laughs> the anatomy lab, the dissection. Yeah. We still have formaldehyde and we still go home smelling like it. Yeah. Um, we do, we most, most people do a four-year undergrad uh, and get a Bachelor of Science or yeah. a Bachelor of Arts, and then yeah. they start medical school, which is now a four-year program. Um, the first two years are, again, the didactic teaching, yeah. um, small amount of patient contact. Yeah. So we get uh, maybe once a week, we get yeah. uh, simulated patients in. So they're actors, basically, and they, they have roles, and, they, and we interview and take physical exams as mm-hmm. if we would on a real patient. So just volunteers that are coming in to... They're, they get paid, but yeah. So they, they cool. come in, and, and we, that's, that's how we're learning our history taking and our physical exams. Um, but it's not till the third year clerkship um, that we start actually getting into the hospital and doing patient care. Very interesting. Yeah. And, and Dr. Bocking, you mentioned that after the first year, uh, more than two-thirds of the students uh, are weeded out of the program uh, down from 90 yeah. down to 30. Yeah. Uh, would that same 30 individuals or in the program continue on throughout the, the entirety of the medical school curriculum? Yeah, we are in, encouraged to stay in medicine rather than, than join the service because they, they foresaw a need for doctors uh, in the long term. Because this was right around the time when World War II was yeah. taking effect. World War started in September '39. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I think I mentioned that the group of 90 that uh, were dropped down to 30 to 60 students that uh, didn't get into medicine, uh, some would join the service, some would go on to an uh, arts or science degree. It was interesting, the faculty size was much smaller than than. In the basic science departments, there are usually two two f- faculty. The uh, anatomy, there's uh, uh, Dr. Skinner and Murray Barr. In f- physiology, there was a Dr. Macklin, and uh, and in biochemistry, Dr. McCollum and Dr. DeLuca. The dean at that time was uh, Dr. Fred Campbell. He was a a general practitioner and and then a part-time dean at the medical school, which is quite a change from now. <laughs> in the clinical departments, several of the doctors had gone and joined the service. Uh, Dr. Hardy Geddes uh, was a, a gastroenterologist. He went uh, in, in the Army, and uh, Ab Maury was an obstetrician. He went in the Navy. I wasn't quite sure he went in why he, went in the Navy, but he said it was to get away from the women. (laughs) 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 Anyways, uh, and then there, uh, well, Angus McLaughlin wasn't on the faculty at that time. He was, came after the, in uh, 44, 45, when Dr. Hall came as uh, dean of the medical school. And a lot of these names that you're mentioning, uh, Murray Barr, Dr. Hall, the, the, they're actually immortalized within Western's yes. heritage. Uh, yeah. A lot of uh, pieces yeah. are, are made specifically yeah. for yeah. them. Yeah. Dr. Hall was uh, 
I graduated from the University of Toronto, and he uh, he served in the, he was in the Air Force in the uh, research division of the Air Force. And Murray Barr was also in the Air Force uh, in the research part. So it seems that a lot of the physicians of the time were either uh, compelled to go into the service or chose to go chose to go in, yeah, on their yeah. own accord. There was no uh, there's no conscription then. Is that why, I, I, I guess, a lot of the doctors chose to go into uh, the, the service in order just to help out? For, from yeah, yeah, I think so, yes. Yeah, there was, uh, in uh, 41 and 42, things weren't very going very well in, the, in the World War II. There was, uh, England was just hanging on by the skin of the teeth. <laughs> yeah. This there. is about midway through World War II at this point. Yeah. So the uh, so the war did have an impact on the uh, medical students at that time because uh, of the accelerated classes. And uh, at the end of third year, uh, we were all the all the able-bodied students uh, signed up as privates in the Royal Canadian Army Medical Corps, and we. Uh, were paid $25 a month uh, as privates, and we had uh, a pretty elementary training in learning how to march, and uh, at the at the old armories on uh, on Dundas Street there, and uh, one summer we went went out to an army camp at uh, out at the coves out west of Byron, learned how to shoot, and uh, they. Uh, and then at the end of the, so by, as I mentioned, uh, instead of graduating in June of 44, we graduated in August of 43. And, That's right. Uh, and went into the, uh, most of the class went into one of the services, either Army, Air Force, or Navy. The, the girls, uh, the girls weren't in the uh, Army at that time. And, and of what, uh, uh, of those 30 students that you graduated with, how many were female? The, ratio, uh, the 30 students, there were uh, three, three girls in the class of 30. That's very interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. It just seems like such a tight-knit group with just the 30 students, and, yeah. and you're all registering with, with the Royal Canadian Army uh, yeah. Reserve. And, and I'm sure that, or I'm assuming here, that, that the $25 per month uh, stipend that you were given almost were, would... Uh, pay off your tuition for That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah it was an interesting time yeah. the junior internship was uh, nine months instead of 12 months they cut us back to nine months and uh, that uh, we didn't uh, not like now you didn't have to decide what specialty or what you wanted to do you just did a rotating internship and then usually after that decided what specialty you might go into. So in that case, what specialty did you choose by the end of your internships? Well, then I was in the Navy for a year and a half and then uh, came back to the Montreal General and uh, did uh, residency in medicine. Mm -hmm. And then uh, by that time I had a family, had two children, and I married uh, Vivian was a... A nurse at the Montreal General, and uh, we had to, uh, had to get out and uh, earn some money to raise the family. <laughs> so uh, I went to the 
uh, a clinic up in Hawkesbury, Ontario, up in the mm-hmm. halfway between Montreal and Ottawa on the Ottawa River, and joined the Smith Clinic and uh, did internal medicine there. Internal medicine. For two years. Okay. And then decided that I'd like to get more into an academic center, and so mm-hmm. I came back t- here and talked to Bri- Dr. Frank Bryan. He was the mm-hmm. chief of medicine then, and uh, I, I was interested in cardiology, and he said, well, you'd starve in cardiology <laughs> because we've got Dr. Bartram and mm-hmm. uh, George Manning, Bill Cameron. He suggested rheumatology. They needed a rheumatologist. Mm-hmm. So I got a fellowship with the Arthritis Society and spent two years at the Mass General and, and Harvard Medical School wow. and came back here in the 52. So you were very adaptable then so yes, yeah, <laughs> in terms yeah, of your specialty. That's right, yeah. So what do you think the differences were in terms of you going to Schulich as a medical student and now you eventually become the dean of medicine? Do you, do you have any um, insights on what being the dean during that time was like? Well, it was a very interesting time, and uh, I enjoyed the uh, being dean because uh, you had uh, lots of contact with the medical students and uh, and the faculty. And uh, the faculty was growing. We had uh, staffed the university hospital because it started in 1972, mm-hmm. and uh, so it meant uh, stockpiling faculty at Victoria Hospital and then moving them up to UH. Yeah, there were new programs being started on physical uh, physiotherapy, occupational mm-hmm. therapy, okay. speech pathology, and audiology. And uh, I guess the uh, in 1968 was when uh, we brought Ian McWinney here as uh, first professor of family medicine in Canada, and uh, he uh, he really. Uh, developed the whole uh, field of family medicine across Canada. Yeah, he's well known to current medical students as yeah, the, as the yeah. father of family medicine in Canada. Wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's a Ian McQuinney lecture every year, and yeah. uh, the family medicine building has uh, pictures and plaques dedicated wow. to him as well. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a very interesting time. Been a few changes since then. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any experiences during your uh, medical school curriculum here at Western uh, throughout the war that influenced how you uh, taught or the way that you conducted the program when you became dean? Well, I was involved in, uh, in, in, uh, in 1959, I guess it was. Uh, I chaired the uh, curriculum committee that uh, began looked at the existing curriculum and began to make changes, uh, cut back on the gross anatomy a great deal and uh, yeah that experience in the uh, with the curriculum committee was uh, quite valuable yeah mm-hmm. when I was dean yeah and Matt do you have any uh, current uh, perspectives on how potentially based on how Dr. Bocking's explanations of these uh, uh, past histories have mm-hmm. been for the medical curriculum how your experience potentially differs or well, they seem to be changing the curriculum every year. Uh, it's it's really it's really ongoing. They make yeah. big changes uh, consistently, and and they seem to be very receptive of student feedback uh, for each course and 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 how the curriculum is run in general. Um, Dr. Strong and Dr. Tiscott are very involved in uh, making sure that Western's 
curriculum, medical school curriculum is is uh, one of the best in, in Canada. And um, yeah. yeah, there's definitely a lot of curriculum development going on right now and some big changes coming as well. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh. And we can talk about one really big change, which is the tuition, I would think, between yes. <laughs> then and now. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, a little bit awestruck at your $200 <laughs> tuition. I'm paying $28,000 this year. How much? $28,000 this year to attend medical school. Is that the regular fee for... Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it goes up every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably yeah. the maximum that it that it's allowed to. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So medical students graduate with a lot of debt these days. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not something, I guess, you can just sign up for an Army Reserve and uh, pay off the, the entirety of the debt necessarily. Actually, you can. Really? So the Canadian Armed Forces and uh, yeah. one person in my class and a couple in the year above uh, yeah. sign up with the army and there's a army medical program yeah, and yeah. they will not only pay your full tuition but pay you a salary on top of that um, wow. with the uh, with the deal being that you have to provide I think four or five years of service after yeah. you graduate but they will pay for your residency training and family medicine uh-huh. and uh, and you you in return you give five years of service but yeah uh, you can if you're interested in, in the yeah. in the medical yeah. field, you can or in the army medical field, you can yeah. sign up. Yeah, that sounds like such a wonderful deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, Dr. Bocking, you mentioned that there were maybe two thousand students in total at Western yes. w- when when you were a student. Yeah. I think that varies quite differently now as well. I think we have upwards of fifty thousand or something like that. Yeah, Matt, I, th- I think about thirty-five thousand. Thirty-five thousand at Western. Um, the my my medical school class is 178, I believe. Well, um, yeah. with most of us here in London and about 30 students in at, in the Windsor, Windsor campus. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they don't cut 60 people anymore. Uh, yeah. It's very hard to fail out of medical school, and there's a there's a lot of support to make sure that we stay in medical school. Yeah, yeah. But the number of individuals. Uh, trying to get into medical school in the yeah. undergraduate has probably exponentially increased. I'd yeah, I, th- I think in my year about uh, 3,000 people applied to, to Schulich School of yeah. Medicine. So that's wow. yeah. I'm just wondering if it, if medicine in general was as glamorous as it is now, so so many people after their bachelor's degree, you know, say 100% I'm going to apply to medical school, I'm going to send my application everywhere. Was that the case back when you were in um, in university? No, they, I don't think there was that uh, much competition. They, uh, mm-hmm. they, I don't know how many would have applied for the the ninety spots, but uh, it uh, it was pretty easy to get into <laughs> school then. <laughs> very, very modest, Doctor Bocking. <laughs> Thank you very much. And we would love to have like we we could talk all day about this. You've both blown my mind in a few different ways uh, throughout this podcast. I love hearing about the different names because I've experienced all of these mm-hmm. names at some point during my undergrad yeah. and my yeah. graduate studies. And for the most part, I didn't know where I could, you know, pinpoint what that name did in yeah. history mm-hmm. in terms of yeah. Western University. But now I feel like I'm learning so much yeah. in terms of uh, who contributed what to the school. And yeah. it's so rewarding. I feel like maybe that's maybe one of the biggest benefits of having this get out there is because, you know, li- like you were saying, there's the Ian... McQuinney McQuinney lecture series there's also the Murray Murray Barr Barr. lecture series that the neuroscience department hosts Uh, I'm sure all of the uh, I've heard of the Collip lecture series as well 
So it's just, it's fascinating to yeah, know about yeah, the background yeah, for these. Yeah. And every time I hear about those names now, yeah. I, I know that I'll think back to this interview. For sure. Yeah, it was in 1948 no, uh, that the uh, Charlie Drake and Henry Barnett decided to uh, develop the Clinical Neurological Science Department, combined the medicine and the neurology and neurosurgery. Mm-hmm. And uh, it made a lot of sense because it uh, brought brought the brought the surgeons and neurologists together, mm-hmm. and uh, and then involved the neuroanatomy and uh, neurophysiology and neurochemistry. So that was a, a good. Uh, although it hasn't taken hold across the country, but it uh, certainly, uh, I think, was uh, very valuable at Western. Mm-hmm. Is that still the case? Do they still is is it like a combination between those different disciplines? Yes. Yeah. Is that yeah, still yeah. happening today? Yeah. No. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The neurosurgeons and neurosurgeries and neurology there are two divisions in the department, but. Uh, Neurosurgery still has a part of surgery, and neurology is still part of medicine as well. Mm-hmm. And they have a they alternate the uh, chairman of the department. So. And I and I know you mentioned uh, uh, you're, you're mentioning the, the, the neurosurgery and the, uh, the neurology, but I, I think West or London, if anything, is more uh, known for its heart. Uh, it's work with the heart and yes. it's work with yeah. strokes yeah. and things like that. Yeah. I, I know you mentioned, I forget the name, it started with a B, but there was a, a, a doctor that I guess started the whole treatment with aspirin for, for heart conditions yeah. in, in yeah. that sense. I'm not too familiar with the area, I'm uh, sorry. It was, well, it was Dr. Mustard at McMaster, but uh, then Dr. Barnett uh, right. did, did the study in, uh, on uh, the role of aspirin. When about was that? It was in the 70s, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. The late, uh, late 60s, early 70s, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's one of the first things we learned in medical school, baby aspirin for uh, mm-hmm. for a heart attack. Yeah, really, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 81 milligrams aspirin. Yeah, they sold those at the pharmacy. Yeah, I know it off, yeah. by, off by heart because <laughs> they have drilled yeah. it into our heads. Yeah. And That's that, very interesting. That started here at Western. Yeah. 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 Wow. wow. And cool. were you dean at that point? Did you oversee that, that whole study with Dr. Burnett? Well, I, I was the dean, but uh, I wasn't directly involved. No, no. no. It takes some kind of credit. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we could literally talk all day about this. As I said earlier, Dr. Bocking, you could certainly have your own series of podcasts just on your experiences uh, throughout yeah, your, your, your history in medicine. We are approaching the end of our time for the show today. Um, so... J- I'd just like to thank you again, Dr. Bocking and, and um, Matt, Matthew Lund. Uh, we, we learned a lot about the uh, differences between uh, medical school curriculum throughout World War II, uh, pre and post, uh, versus today here in 2018. Uh, we learned about the accelerated uh, uh, medical school curriculum that Dr. Douglas Bocking uh, was exposed to. And uh, I, we would love to hear about uh, more of these uh, stories again in the future. Yeah. Uh, you're both welcome on again at any time. Um, if you'd like to catch us at any time, uh, these episodes are aired every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on CHRW 94.9 FM. You can check out all of our episodes at gradcast.ca. And if you'd like to get involved with the show at all, you could email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. This has, again, been a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. Thank you very much for, wa- uh, for listening, and have a wonderful week.
Very good. Yes. <laughs> the Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker. <laughs>